everybody. Thank you for being with us today, uh, Friday, June 19th, um, for our very first um, discussion of Real Black Fridays. Um, to get started, we just kind of wanted to explain um, what our goal is, kind of what we're doing here with this um, discussion. And so uh, every other Friday, uh, twice a month, uh, Ryan and I will hop on and we will answer questions and have some discussions based on what you guys want to hear from us. Um, we have had questions coming in um, since our last post and even yesterday we got some more questions and so uh, we've picked a few topics and we'd like to kind of just go over those. Um, but before we get started, we thought it would probably be a good plan because there are a few people that don't know us kind of personally to give you a little background on um, who we are and uh, why we are here doing what we're doing. <laughs> so to give you guys a little bit more of a better understanding of who we are, um, yes, we are a married couple, but we each have uniquely different upbringings. And so I grew up in uh, Southeast Oklahoma City. Uh, I grew up in a single parent household with my mother. Um, the town that I lived in was diverse. The school that I attended was diverse. Um, the church that I attended growing up in middle school and high school was not as diverse as the town or the community. Um, however, we felt very loved and supported in that setting. And I grew up a child of adoption. Um, my parents, my adoptive parents are white um, and I have a younger adopted sister who is four years younger than me who is biracial also. Um, I grew up in rural Oklahoma in predominantly white communities. Um, most of the time, my sister and I um, were the only minorities um, within our school systems and communities. So um, the first kind of glimpse into um, a diverse community was when I went to college. Um, and so uh, definitely a different upbringing uh, than Ryan, but um, I think they have both provided um, a great uh, foundation uh, for us to be able to, to build our family with. I know for me personally, um, it wasn't until I left my home um, and went to college. Um, and then as we were early newlyweds um, and then became parents, um, this rising awareness within me um, became evident that I needed to do some work to find out who I truly was uh, culturally, um, what my perspectives were on who I was and my culture. And so it, it just called me to education um, it called me to more of a role of advocacy um, and definitely into lament at times, as we have seen over the last um, years uh, that we have kind of been dealing with uh, the racial situations that we have. Um, and so I felt like, especially as a parent, um, not being uh, raised under the shadow of uh, white privilege, which I was, I was under the shadow of that. Um, once we got married and had children, that was no longer the case. And our family of six um, cannot walk into uh, a place uh, to go shopping or a restaurant um, that people don't notice that uh, we are black. Uh, so I, I definitely needed to, to educate. So that's kind of where we are coming to the table. Yeah. And, and as far as our careers as ministers um, in all five churches that we have been on staff at. Uh, most oftentimes our family has been the only family of color within our congregation. In a couple of these settings uh, we have been the only uh, staff members of color. Um, and so that brings with it just interesting uh, conversations and different aspects of, of what it's like to be, you know, uh, people of color 
in a predominantly white church in, in a white setting? Um, somebody did ask us the other day, and I kind of feel like this might be a good, you know, place to lay this out. Um, you know, have you had opportunities through your years of ministry? Have you had opportunities um, to speak into um, the racial situations of our life or just who we are as people of color? Um, and honestly, I, I don't know that there really has been an open opportunity. Um, so I know some of you guys who know us well are probably saying, what has happened to the gauges? Like, <laughs> what, what is going on? Um, but honestly, I feel like uh, God has called us into this time and this moment um, to be able to um, use who he created us to be um, to help um, share our stories, uh, share our perspectives um, as people of color, but mainly as the body of Christ. So, yeah. yeah. So what do you think? Should we dive into questions? Or? I feel like we should answer some questions. All right. Okay. okay. Here we go. <laughs> first of all we have to say this uh you guys did not hold back which was fantastic um we had to do a lot of research as well but also too the other part of our goal for doing this is to create a safe space for you all to ask questions yes. um you know as we have engaged with our congregations you know it quickly became aware to us that people were were kind of afraid to ask you know how how can i be an ally or how can i be supportive or where do i even begin and so the, one of the definite goals of what we're doing in this space is to to create whether you post it you know on the news feed of the page or if you send it um to the direct message um, know that what you're asking is safe. Um, know that what you are asking is anonymous unless you just want us to say uh, who you are, uh, we will. But, um, and so it was great. It was really encouraging and it was a little bit difficult too. Um, I think this first question that we want to tackle, um, it's one question, but it was asked in various forms, if that makes sense. Um, you know, the question is, you know, uh, what do you do or how do you engage with people in these conversations um especially when you feel like that person is defensive you know how do you how do you have this beginning conversation about race and um, when you feel like the person you are trying to engage with is not hearing um it's not listening to what you're saying and and you yourself are trying to you know keep your blood pressure down or right. you know whatever the case might be to be able to engage in this conversation right um to me, first of all, and I'm going to lean, I always will lean heavily on um, these kind of four points. And I got these from Latasha Morrison um, and her organization, Be the Bridge. I really feel like that is um, kind of a foundational component that um, I like to use for communication and resources. So um, the four things that she suggests are to start with listening, to start with learning, lament, and then leverage. And so as we get this conversation started, um, everybody has to be in a posture to listen, right? And to listen to different perspectives. Um, that can be a really hard part of this journey, right? Is to listen um, and to listen actively, you have to have um, that open heart and open mind. And so what a lot of you guys are saying 
is that, you know, people, people are defensive immediately. Like the second I say something or the second that something is posted, you know, they immediately, you know, come back with statistics or, or whatever it is um, to discount what you have said. Um, my first thought is you cannot force um, a perspective that's closed, right? That is not ready to, to listen, right? Is not fertile to hear um, words that could be challenging, um, words that could um, cause them to feel like they are wrong. Um, and so that that is the hardest part. Now, um, I don't know if you have anything that you want to add to that, that part. Um, well, I think it might be safe to tell people too that you know, it is okay, especially for if you need to, you know, to take a step back, right? right? Because you won't get anything accomplished if, you know, the person you're trying to talk to starts yelling and then you start yelling. And so then it becomes right. just this, this tug of war of words. And I think we recognize that even in social media as well. Um, you know, you see all of this back and forth and, you know, social media for all of its beauty, you know, one of the negatives to it is that, you know, people you know, will go on there just to, you know, make their point be heard and really that's it. And so sometimes it is safe. It is it is safe and it is okay and it is wise for you to take a step back. Um, you know, pull pull away from that conversation. When you realize that that person um, is, is being super defensive and you quickly discover that the conversation is not going to go anywhere, you know, it is okay for you to, to stop, to take a beat mm -hmm. and maybe, mm -hmm. maybe come back to it. But don't feel like you have to continue to engage in that piece. Right. And the other thing, as you are entering these conversations, the second step is learning. Um, come into those conversations knowing credible um, resourcing, knowing credible facts, knowing credible you know, statistics. Um, go into conversations um, educa educated. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, educated, absolutely. that's the word. Um, go into those conversations knowing your perspective, right? Um, knowing uh, how how you feel about the topic of race, how you feel about whatever topic that you are discussing, um, and know your stuff, right? Know your stuff. Um, but again, like I just I can't come back to you know nobody is going to to listen if they're not ready. And um, the one thing that we as people of color. <laughs> have had to learn um, that a lot of our friends, our, our white bridge building friends, our, our white allies, um, are learning is this process takes time. Um, we have been waiting uh, for a while, right? Like we have been waiting to just have a platform for conversations. Mm -hmm. um, and so please don't feel like if you are just kind of awakening to these perspectives um, that it's going to be solved overnight, right? That there's not a simple fix. Right, there's yeah. not not a, you know, let's wake up the next day and the world is is different, right? So it's a, it's a journey um, and you have to pace yourself because it's not going to be one discussion and over, right? Right. And I think as you as you do the research, as you begin to do the work, you quickly discover that this is not just a, you know a decade long issue. That right. th this is a generational thing that has happened, you know, generation after generation. And so when you begin to start reading about 
the injustices and the inequalities and and begin to understand systematic racism and and all all of these things and buzzwords that you keep hearing you quickly discover yeah this is not something that's going to you know you wake up the next day and poof you know right. we're all singing kumbaya or whatever the case might be but i think also too we especially you know people of god we have to make sure that we leave space for for grace right right and i know you kind of got on me the other day I about did. you know uh Number one, we all have to kind of keep it in the back of our head that uh, we are all learning. We, regardless of our skin color, we are all learning, especially if you are really leaning into this work of racial reconciliation. And with that, we have to remember that it's going to get clunky. I think you said clunky, right? right? Clunky. It's going to be awkward. <laughs> We're all going to say the wrong things at times. We're right. going to misstep. But that cannot deter us from having these hard conversations, right? right? We have to keep coming to the table in a posture of humility on both sides, knowing that mistakes will be made, but we're going to stay at the table until we can walk through those. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we had a situation this week. Uh, that we saw on social media um, where a beloved pastor um, just did not use wording that we felt was the best, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and so definitely polarizing conversations, I think, were happening around that. Um, but again, like we have to, if we are going to say that it's going to be awkward and clunky to have these conversations, we have to leave space for grace when it does get awkward, right? And um, this particular um, person, this particular pastor did come back and apologize and understood uh, what his mistake was and he rectified that situation. And so to me, um, in my perspective, that was a step forward for us, right? Because the conversation had been had, the mistake was recognized and there was an apology, right? That's, that's what we can ask for. Right, right. Right. Yeah. So, um, to be specific, okay, because I know part of you guys are like, no, I asked a very specific kind of question <laughs> in regards to how to deal with defensive people. Um, so let's talk about words for a second, um, specifically three that are um, polarizing conversations everywhere, and that's Black Lives Matter. Oh, we're going, we're, we're going there. We're going, <laughs> we're going there, right? Oh, we're going okay. there. Um, so why should those words be so polarizing? Why do those words have to be polarizing? I, well, I don't think they should, okay. you know, so, uh, and I'll, I'll confess, you know, I, I put it on social media and, uh, there was a little bit of pushback on it. And my immediate response to the person was, well, I know like I can say that because, it's it's me it's us like i am a black man and so yes i feel like my life matters and and so and it should to right. everybody um and the the problem is i feel like and you can you can push back on it if you <laughs> want to um i feel like right now you know culture is letting these three words be wrapped up with an organization exclusively right, right? I feel like we as people of God can say Black Lives Matter because 
that's what we are called into, right? We are called to care for black lives. We are called to care for Hispanic lives. We are called to care for white lives. We, and, and the list can go on. So yes, in this moment, because of everything that is happening in culture and, and all the violence that we have seen in this moment, yes, we are saying black lives matter. Yes, we, we see you. Yes. We may not understand what is happening. You may not understand what we are feeling, but you are acknowledging that, that we matter, that mm -hmm. we are a part of creation. Right. And so it hurts me, you know, that, you know, sometimes people can't, they can't see that, that there's just this uh, failure of imagination, if you will, that you can make the statement and proclaim it just for the statement itself and that it's not, it's not saying that you are donating money to an organization, that you are agreeing or disagreeing with an organization. But again, that goes back to also doing your research and right. making sure you really understand what you, what you are getting into before you, you know, make kind of these generalized statements. Right, right. I, I agree. I definitely agree. <laughs> it's one of those things that um, as people of faith, um, if we can't say those three words, um, then we need to go back to the foundational truth that we live in and, and say, who, who created us, right? right? Like, right. who are who are we in Christ, right? right. Um, who is God it, to create um, diversity and race and tribe? I mean, who, you know, we have to have to go back to the foundation of the word to say, oh, right? Like, we are all created in the image of God. And so, you know, we, we were still created in the image of God. We might not look like a majority of our, the people around us, but we are just as much of the image of God as any other person, right? Mm -hmm. So to be able to say that should not be a problem for a person of faith, right? Shouldn't right. be a problem for anybody, but especially for people of faith. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't remember who it was. Um, I think it was a professor at a college. I saw it on Twitter, and she said, if, if you can't see diversity, if you can't appreciate diversity, then you can't see God. You can't see the face of God. And, it, and it's so true because, you know, he has made us all unique and, you know, distinct individuals. And so we, we have to be willing to, to see the beauty in, in everybody. Mm -hmm. so, Okay, so the next hard question, Please. and we're not, I don't want to mention names, because I know that you guys probably know, um, or have seen different videos um, posted by um, people of color, whose opinions differ than other people of color, like that's that is America, that's the world, <laughs> that's what we are able to do, right? We share our thoughts, we share our perspectives, um, and we can do it in an instant through technology, just like we are doing here. Right. Um, people have messaged us, well, all of my, my white friends are sharing this, you know, this opinion, what do you guys think? Like what, here's the thing, um, if, if you have gone and searched um, to find the one voice that will align with your voice that doesn't look like you, you need to do more research, right? Mm -hmm. That is one perspective from one person of color, okay? 
broaden, broaden your perspective. Um, we do not feel like we would be educated on a perspective if we took one video from one white person whose opinion was ours, right? That's right. not fair. Like it's not fair on anybody to have one person's opinion perspective um, for a whole community of people, right? So if you want to share those videos, um, please be mindful that that is one person, one perspective, and you always have to make sure that facts are credible, okay? Fact check, fact check, fact check, okay? We all have Google, <laughs> we all have ways um, to find credible resources, right? So, so please do the work, do the work. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. Sometimes it can be easy to just simply post something like that and that to me can feel like a cop-out, right? Oh, right. A yeah. cop-out of just doing the work. And I think too, it reminds me of the importance of of making it personal, right? And I think Latasha says that in, in her book where she said it in a blog somewhere about um, how you have to take a look at your personal sphere, right? Look at your personal friend circle or whatever the case might be. Um, and if your friend circle looks completely like you or sounds completely like you, you might need to change that up, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think she goes on to specifically talk about, you know, make change that circle and you know fill it in with with people of color but more than one there you go yeah but don't more let that, than one yeah if you find that one black person or that one black friend or the one hispanic friend or whatever the case might be don't let them be the only one right right because again um our our experiences are so different you know um you know again our experience is completely different than even some of our family members you know i i know that for a fact um, so again, don't don't let social media try to do the work for you, right? Don't let these these buzz videos and all these kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. And and I think the other thing I'll follow up with this is too that uh, we have to be careful to not be critical about you know what we see people do in response to what's happening in the world via online, right? right. Um, you know, somebody said to me, you know, do you get concerned when, you know, your friends aren't speaking out or, you know, they're not posting anything about it? And really, I don't, because here's the thing. If, if they are my friend, more than just the Facebook acquaintance that we call friend, um, then I know that that friend has checked in on us, right? that friend is invested in our lives. And so because I know that about those people, I'm not going to use social media as the litmus test for them to, you know, whether right. to determine how woke they are or how supportive they are. So, so again, and, and that's a message to everybody too, don't feel like you have to post all the things or, you right. know, you have to, you know, do all the, the things online just to show you know, your solidarity or to show your allyship. Again, it comes back to those personal pieces. You know, when was the last time that you had a phone call with the person of color and checked in with them to see how they were doing, to find out how these things are affecting them? You know, that goes a long way, much further than, you know, us scrolling by to see if you posted this week's daily da-da-da-da-da, right? So again, 
going back to understanding that the difficulty in all this and that it's going to take time. But again, it's it's personal, too. It's deeply personal because it's calling us to do things that right now culture is is saying we don't have to do. And that's that's make personal contact. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the other you know, the other challenge, obviously, we have a different perspective. Right. We have a different perspective as people of color, as black people in America. Um, so the other thing in, in listening and learning would be if you are a white American um, and, and you don't feel like you have a culture, um, you do, right? Um, and so do, do the work to know what your culture means, what it has done, the history of that, and know it well, and then start adding perspectives, right? right. Um, then you add perspectives, but you, you have to, just like Ryan said, it has to be personal, correct? Like it has to come um, from the inside, doing the inside work. And um, to kind of go back to where I feel like maybe we even started um, in, in the question of what do you do with defensive people? Um, when we talk about being people of faith, right? Like the Holy Spirit will nudge and move and awaken minds and awaken hearts, right? Um, I was just in a conversation not too long ago um, with a person that came to me um, to share their heart, right? And to share how it had been um, opened and um, the Holy Spirit was doing a work within that. And now ears were open and eyes were open. Um, So, you know, our God is moving, is moving through uh, conversations, is moving through um, stories and things that we're seeing, right? So don't give up, right? Don't um, let, let it be too much, right? It's hard. Um, but don't let it be too much because I, I do feel like, uh, for, for this season of life, um, where we are right now, um, the church, um, everybody has an amazing opportunity, um, to really see, um, the racial reconciliation that, um, so many people have been working so hard for, for so long. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do we think? I don't know. I think we covered quite a bit. I think think we might have. Yeah. Well, thank you guys um, for being with us. Uh, We hope the questions keep coming. Um, We hope that, you know, um, we can continue the conversation with things that might seem a little bit trivial in this time. But, I mean, we can talk about... Um, how it is for um, black females, uh, how it is for uh, raising children. We have a lot um, that we have left to discuss, Mm -hmm. but we also want to be mindful that right here and right now, um, we have had senseless death, right? Senseless murder that has happened um, with people um, in our black communities. So um, we want this to be something that is meaningful and so um, we will we will continue the conversation, um, but just know here and now um, we want to stay focused on on um, being able to to uh, do justice um, to uh, the platform that we are sharing in this time and in this space. So please don't forget, please don't forget um, what has brought us here right now, um, and that was lives that were lost senselessly. Um, and 
we won't uh, forget those names and those stories. So um, please uh, take the time to remember those names and um, find out why um, there is protest. Find out why people are angry. Um, do your research. Uh, find out uh, what it means to reallocate funds in your police departments. Mm -hmm. um, not saying to get rid of them. We're really not, right? right. right. Um, do the research. Um, anything else? I, I hit a lot of hot ones. I mean, well, speaking of research, okay. you know, we specifically started today on June 19th. Mm -hmm. um, part of, you know, the other piece of this too is that we want to emphasize specific things about uh, black history. And I know one of the things growing up too, and I know a lot of people have mentioned this too, uh, you know, they did not hear about stories such as, you know, the the Tulsa massacre that happened in 1921, or it, and the list could go on. And so, uh, because I'm kind of a history nerd, uh, my wife says I can use this space yes. to kind of bring awareness to things. And so Please. we had a special opportunity to go over to Boise, which is the town next to us, um, and talk a little bit about Juneteenth and what that means and what it can look like uh, with uh, standing, actually not with standing in front of the Idaho Black History uh, Museum, which is a wonderful place. And so take a look at this. We hope you enjoy it. One of the things that we wanted to do with Real Black Fridays is to bring awareness and history uh, for our local context. And so we are very thankful to be here on site at the Idaho Black History Museum here at the Julie Davis Park. And so we want to say a special thank you to them for allowing us to be here in their space today. For more information and about times to come and visit the museum, we encourage you to visit their website at www.ibhm.org. And so we say to you today, happy Juneteenth. And what does Juneteenth mean exactly? Well, first of all, it's a merger between the two words June and the number 19. So Juneteenth, right? So think with me, back uh, at the end of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln declared the Emancipation Proclamation, and then General Gordon Granger came down to Galveston, Texas, to make the news known that the Emancipation Proclamation was indeed in effect and that the enslaved people of Texas were now free. Can you believe it that it took two years for that news to travel down to Galveston? And so uh, Juneteenth then quickly became a celebration and it lost a little bit of ground in the early 1900s for various reasons. But then in the 1950s and 1960s, uh, the resurgence and the interest of Juneteenth came back. And part of that is due to the Civil Rights Movement and also to the Poor People's March to D.C. in March of 1968. And so once again, that resurgence of what this holiday is about began to, began to grow throughout the country. And so we asked this question today, why do we celebrate Juneteenth? What makes Juneteenth so important? Uh, I'll back up just a little bit further uh, to go to January of 1980, where the state of Texas broke ground and declared Juneteenth as a state holiday. And so once again, the conversation about making this a, a national holiday began to, to resurge. But the question again is, is what makes Juneteenth so significant? Part of it is that it's a reminder and a celebration of freedom for the African-American community. 
but also it brings about self-development for the community as well. Also, Juneteenth is a reminder that good news travels slowly. And as we have been looking at the things that have been happening in our country, we're reminded of the oppression that has happened to people of color for so many years. And that even with news like freedom, sometimes it is delayed. And so the resurgence of Juneteenth comes particularly at a, at a poignant moment in our history today. So what do you do with Juneteenth? Well, you celebrate, right? It's an important holiday where you gather with friends and with family, but not only do you take the time to, to visit and gather and eat really good food, but you tell the stories. You tell the stories of the African-American community. One of the beautiful things that you will discover if you ever attend a Juneteenth celebration is, of course, the food, and I, I love food. And so one of the significant things that you'll discover there, there are usually lots of barbecues, uh, cookouts, but then also, too, you will see that the color red plays an important part of, of the food of Juneteenth. So, yes, watermelon is attributed to that. Um, people will make uh, red velvet cakes or any other uh, desserts that have the color red in it. But then also, too, and this was famous in the state of Texas as well, is uh, the red soda or strawberry soda. In Texas, I believe it's called Big Red. And so the red signifies the sacrifice of all those who came before us. And so, no matter what you do uh, with this holiday today, we hope that you will take the time to read a little bit more uh, to discover what Juneteenth is all about. Uh, we'll also post for you on the site uh, books and literature and website as well, websites as well that will point you to lessons about Juneteenth. And so, today, uh, we hope that no matter what you do with this day, that you will take the time to, to celebrate, that you'll take the time to gather with friends, that you'll take the time to, to educate yourself and to read and to understand more about this very important holiday and about why there is now this, once again, resurgence of conversation about making it a national holiday. Because black history is American history.